love dating and relationships night. You guys excited? Good. Some of you uh, are playing it cool. Uh, you're like, yeah, no, I'm not excited. What are you talking about? I'm like the most confident dater in the world. And, uh, but really on, your, on the inside, you're like, please, God, give me wisdom. Uh, so thank you so much for being here tonight. My name is Steve. If you are new to Chi Alpha, uh, we love having fun. We love serving Jesus, and we love being a family. And so thanks so much for being here tonight. Uh, we want you to feel at home. And uh, we meet here every Thursday. And so uh, just know that this can be your home away from home. This can be your family away from family. And, uh, and so we thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah. Hey, we talk about, uh, you want to say anything? You sure? All right. Uh, so um, obviously, no, 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 you got it. You got it. No, don't put it back there. Don't check me. I'm not on there. There it is. Wow. Those are my words. All right. Good job. Uh, so obviously, uh, we don't claim to be, uh, you know, the absolute experts in this topic, but uh, it obviously it. it obviously worked for us. We are married, uh, and so um, something obviously, you know, finally clicked for Steve. Um, and and uh, you know, one of the things we actually talk about love dating relationships pretty much every year in Chi Alpha. And you might be asking, man, you know, are we like, or why are you, why do you hit on this every single year? Well, because it's on everybody's mind. You know what I'm talking about? All right. And if, uh, again, don't play it cool and be like, oh, whatever. It's like, it's on our minds, right? Because typically most of you in this room are probably uh, between the ages of 18 to 25-ish. And so, uh, uh, obviously, that's probably something that's going to be happening in your life sometime soon is you might meet somebody, you might want to marry them, you might want to, you know, spend the rest of your life with them. And so how do you go about that? What's the healthy way to do it? Uh, and obviously, we are not here. Chi Alpha is not a dating service. We just want to put that disclaimer out there. All right. This is not why we talk about this on a Thursday night. However, I know a lot of people that uh, that find their future spouse in Chi Alpha. And you might very well have your future spouse be somewhere in this room, all right? If you don't believe me, talk to Kirk and Cora, all right? Three years ago, uh, at, was it two years? Two years ago, right? Two years ago, at Love Dating Relationships Night, they were in the room and together, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. So, um, no joke, though, it's just the age in which these things happen. Mine and Aaron's record uh, for, as Chi Alpha pastors, you know, weddings is just something that we kind of do. We're around that a lot. Our record is 23 weddings in one year. Uh, Beat that. And so, so obviously we want to make sure that if this is going to happen, we would want to give you guys wisdom. Why? Uh, not because we want you to follow a set of rules or regulations. We're just going to put that disclaimer out there. That's not what this is about. This is not about... Aaron and I giving you the 10, uh, the 10 rules of being able to date or whatever in the, in the Chi Alpha way. This is about us loving you guys enough to say, hey, let's talk about how to do this in a godly way. Because uh, the world has a lot to say about relationships. How many people know that's true? You can't turn on a single movie or a single show without having some sort of love story involved. I don't even care if it's a G-rated Pixar movie. There's going to be love in it, right? There's going to be some sort of relationship advice that you get from somewhere. And 
And uh, I actually uh, I did some internet research, and I uh, tried to find the best of the worst relationship advice in pop songs in today's culture, okay? So we're going to go through some of these because I think this is really fun. Uh, so if you... <laughs> If you are seeking advice from the great, uh, great, you know, wisdom spitter, Christina Aguilera, uh, <laughs> this is what Christina Aguilera has to say about relationships. I am experiencing, now this is summing up one of her songs. See if you can guess which song this is. I am experiencing extreme need for companionship that you might just be able to help me solve. However, in order to actually fill this gaping need in my life, there are conditions that you must follow. Allow me to use a Disney movie reference from the 1990s to illustrate. I'm all about this relationship as long as I get everything my way. You don't seem to understand, so I'll explain the Disney illustration again. I'm a genie in a bottle, okay? That's that one. Some of I told you they weren't going to know that song. How many people know that song? All right, yeah, see. Good that you don't. Good thing you don't. It was a 90s jam, all right? This is what Carrie Underwood has to say about her relationship. I assume many, this is from the, the song Before He Cheats. I assume, I, <laughs> no. <laughs> now listen to this. This is what the world is telling us. I assume many terrible things about my man, foremost of which that he, ha he will wear bad cologne. The most effective solution to my assumptions is to commit violent acts of vandalism against his vehicle rather than just talking to him about it in person. That will ensure he at least pauses when he continues that behavior. In truth, I have never actually verified apart. <laughs> I've never actually verified that behavior apart from my own assumptions. All right. So there you go. Uh, Ed Sheeran. Everybody knows Ed Sheeran. Okay. You guys know. And darling, uh, I will be loving you until we're s until we're seventy. Right. Right. So, so my my question for that song is, what happens at seventy one? You know what I'm saying? Ed Sheeran, we 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 come to a, a, a Ed Sheeran must not be aware that the that the uh, average life expectancy of an American woman is actually eighty one years old. All right, so it's very romantic. <laughs> it's very romantic to be able to put an end on my date of love, an end date on my loving you. Right? That's not doesn't really make sense. Uh, we, all of you know the Justin Bieber song, Sorry, okay? Uh, yeah, pretty much the worst apology in the history of mankind, Justin. Congratulations. Uh, you guys ever heard the, the song by the police, Every Breath You Take? Okay. Before you clap for that song, uh, <laughs> she dumped you, man, all right? And now you're coping with it by stalking her, all right? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, really creepy. That guy needs counseling, all right? Uh, and then obviously, you know, you might have heard this song called Jesse's Girl, and that one explains itself. That's bad. It's just bad. You're breaking lots of bro codes there, all right? So here's why I say that, all right? I do not condone any of that music at all whatsoever, but what I illust what I why the reason I share that is to illustrate the point that there is a lot of really bad relationship advice out there. Like really, really terrible relationship advice. 
And you don't have to look much further than the most popular sitcom on TV to realize that, man, there are some things that lead to some unhealthy circumstances if we just follow what the world is trying to tell us about love and about dating and about relationships in our life. But here's the beautiful thing, is that we actually have a great model and a great illustration, and we actually have a great guideline to relationships, and believe it or not, it's the Bible. Now, some of you might not believe me. You might be like, Steve, last time I read the Bible, I didn't see anything about dating and relationship advice in there. I'm going to tell you that you're, uh, you're, you're wrong, okay, because here's, here's why. The Bible tells you how to be in loving relationships with the people around you. And the Bible tells you how to pursue relationships in the most unselfish way possible. And that's really what a healthy relationship is all about. Being able to enter a relationship with another person selflessly, keeping their needs or their, uh, th- their best interest on the forefront of your mind, right? And so, really, if that's what the Bible teaches, if that's what Jesus teaches, then maybe he has a thing or two to say about dating. Amen? All right, so we're going to have you guys open to 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, you probably have heard, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard these verses before. All right? Uh, And uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7 say, uh, say this. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I want you, young ladies in here, I want you to think about something. Imagine a man in your life who would fit that description. My man is patient, he is kind, he does not envy, he does not boast, he is not proud, he is not rude, he is not self-seeking, and the list goes on. Young men, imagine a wife who could fit that description. Sounds like a pretty good rest of your life, amen? So why not look at the Word of God for relationship advice? If that is the definition of love, let's let that be our definition of love. Let's let God be our definition of love, and let's go from there, all right? And so uh, tonight, really what tonight is about is about what to do before you even start dating. Because if you can't define yourself as this person, right, if you say, wow, I have a long ways to go, then we need to look at our own hearts and our own lives before we even enter into any of these dating relationship things, okay? And so tonight, we will have six questions that we want you to ask yourself before you start dating. Now, you might be in here and you might say, well, I'm already dating. Well, uh, these are going to be great heart check questions to say, okay, Man, maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be some things revealed and be like, maybe that's why my relationships are having some trouble. Or maybe that's why I'm in a relationship right now that is just not going well. Maybe that's why I have unhealth in the relationship components of my life. Okay, so the first question, take it away, Aaron. I'll talk from you. The first question is, do I understand Jesus' love for me? That is an incredible, if you've never, uh, like, asked yourself that question, do I really understand what it means to have Jesus love me? I, I really encourage you to ask yourself that. And Steve talked about this last week, that that's, like, some of the foundation of our 
faith is understanding that Jesus loves us, that he died on the cross for our sins. And so if we don't grasp that, if we don't take that as our own, we can't efficiently love people because we're pulling from a source that's not, it's not able to love. But if you're pulling from Jesus as the source of your love, then you're able to love other people. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. God first loved us, loved us so we can love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. And so we as Christians get to redefine what love looks like. Because I, I'm guessing when you think of the word love, you don't always think of God. You think of romantic love or loving pizza, but you don't actually think of God's character. But the Bible says that a characteristic of who God is is love. And so when you're looking for what does it mean to love somebody, you look at who God is. Um, the, f- the thing that we need to understand about love is that um, the Bible says that greater love, there's no greater love than laying down your life for a friend. And that's what Jesus did for us. Like he, he laid down his entire life for us, and that's the greatest example of love that we can have. And so when we start not, not thinking of love as something that we're taking or something that we receive, something that feels good, but we actually think of love as laying your life down for somebody, wouldn't that be revolutionary in a relationship? going into it not expecting for this little gap in your heart to be fulfilled and this ache in your heart to be fulfilled but going into it going I want to lay my life down for this person this person is is has the character that I would lay my life down for literally every single problem every single sin that any of us have in our lives can be traced back to selfishness just think about it for just a second you can't name one, you can't name a single sin in your life that it doesn't have to do with selfishness. Now, when you bring selfishness into, selfishness, uh, I can't say that word. When you bring that into a relationship, now your selfishness doesn't just affect you, it also affects the other person. And so in marriages, you see this all the time, you go into a marriage expecting to get and get and get instead of to give, to give, to give. And eventually there becomes rifts, there becomes conflicts, there becomes all this trouble. And really what marriage is all about is laying down. When you say I do, you actually say, you, you actually kind of fork over your independency. You kind of say, you know what, I am no longer, I, I am actually willing to surrender my independency for this person. You actually lay that down when you get married. Because now this person that I'm married to has to, their needs have to be greater than my needs. That's that's the commitment that I make to Aaron. That's the love of Jesus Christ working through me, right? And so if we don't understand the love of Jesus, we can never understand the actual love that's needed for a successful marriage relationship. Because Jesus really did, really, really did perfect that. So I think, uh, I think that when we understand Jesus' love, we understand the rest of the stuff that we're going to be talking about this evening. Because uh, if we understand Jesus' love, we understand that love protects, right? Love protects. And sometimes it doesn't make sense when love tries to protect us. How many of you have ever had parents tell you not to do something, and you ask them why, and they didn't have a good answer for you? Raise your hand. Yeah, all the time. Like, why? Well, why can't? Well, just, just trust me, right? Well, your parent loves you, and they're trying to protect you. And sometimes it's 
it's a good reason. Sometimes they're just, you know, being overprotective. But God, God, there's no such thing as God being overprotective of us. He's not overbearing. He's not trying to, like, cosmically kill our joy when he puts limitations on things in our lives. But if we don't, if we don't understand God's love, then when he says, hey, listen, there are some things that I want you to avoid. There are some things that I want you to walk away from. There are some things that I might want you to pursue. Then they're not going to make sense to us. And what's going to make sense is what the world tells us is fun, right? And what the world tells us feels good. And what our bodies tell us feels good sometimes. So we have to be able to know Jesus' love in order to be unselfish. But we also have to know Jesus' love in order to trust that love. Because that love always protects us. And we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. So, all right, go ahead. All right, the second question that we get to ask ourselves is, is my self-worth in Christ or is it in the person that I'm pursuing? Is it in Christ? Do I find my value in the fact that Jesus laid his life down for me or do I find it in pursuing this person and being identified with this person? Can, can we just go back really quick? I'm sorry. I just, I just really feel like I'm supposed to say this. Uh, if you're here tonight and you've never understood the love of Jesus, man, I just feel like God wants you to know that if you've been looking for love, if you've been looking for a, a sign that God loves you, like this is it. Like someone is standing in front of a room <laughs> in front of you saying, man, God loves you. He knows that you're here tonight. And he stopped us just for a second from what we were doing to make sure that you understood that he sees you, he knows you, who you are, and he loves you despite of all of your circumstances, despite everything that you've done. And man, he, you, you can't even begin to imagine the love. You can't even begin to imagine the love. And so if that's you tonight, just know that, that, that you are God's prized possession that you are his beloved in whom he is well pleased, that you are, man, God says you are a co-heir with his son. And so you are a son, you are a daughter of the living God, and that's how he treats you. And he wants to lavish his love and his gifts and his blessings all over you. You have no idea how much Jesus loves you. All right, we got to, we can move on. All right. Um, so an something to to consider and to think about is is asking yourself truly like i this whole message won't work if we aren't honest with ourselves yeah amen right and sometimes we are our own biggest deceiver so ask yourself is a relationship a need in my life or a want in my life if you need a relationship girls if you need a relationship to feel beautiful if you need that in your life to feel whole or to feel loved or accepted that's never going to be full unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and really depend on him for that acceptance. Guys, if you need a relationship to feel masculine, if you need a relationship in your life to feel whole or even accepted too, that's never going to be filled with another person, ever. It doesn't work that way. Two half-broken people don't make a whole person. It makes two broken people that are together and broken together. You know, I think a, a good way to identify if there's a self-worth issue in a relationship is that that relationship will quickly become an idol in your life. So if you are in a relationship and all of a sudden, 
all of your friendships have taken a back seat and your friends keep telling you, man, we never see you anymore. Uh, there might be an identity issue in your relationship. Uh, if, uh, if you have gone through your life and the longest point since, since going through puberty, uh, the longest point of singleness in your life has been just a couple months, and you've gone from girl to girl or guy to guy, whatever it is, uh, there might be an identity issue that Jesus wants to take care of. Uh, you know, if there's an identity issue, physical purity will be impossible. If there's an identity issue, you will constantly uh, uh, need to be with that person. A lot of times, uh, can this, this manifests itself in control in a relationship. You get in a relationship, and all of a sudden, you need to know where that person is. You text them constantly. You're, you know, you're, you, you are checking. You're Facebooking constantly. You're constantly asking where they're at. You, you have a hard time trusting that person. You're worried about who that person is talking to constantly. Their jealousy is a big-time problem. There's probably an, ident an identity issue. There's an insecurity deep within your heart that Jesus wants to come and say, man, I just want to love you. And I want to fill that part of you. I want to fill that relational need of you uh, so that you don't have to look for that in somebody else. Because they will let you down. They will disappoint you. Okay? Um, and I don't care how incredibly of an awesome couple they are. Man, they are going to let you down. And so, man, you, your completeness, your, your identity needs to be in Jesus. third question is, instead of looking for the right one, am I becoming the right one? So who's ever made, you don't have to raise your hand, but who has ever made no, a no, they should raise your hand. Should raise, yeah. Who's ever made a list of like what you're looking for in a future spouse? <laughs> yeah. I did, all right? It's, it's not a bad Back thing. Back off, dude. Some of you are giving me the stank guy. I'd be like, wow, lame, Steve. You're like scribbling out your own list right now. Whatever. Delete from my notes on Mine my phone. Mine was just a mental list so no one could find I had, it. I had, a <laughs> I had a friend in college. His name was Tom. I've told some stories about Tom before. Uh, Tom had, uh, had a list on his phone called Songs to Sing to Wife. All right? <laughs> Tom, is, Tom is 27 years old and is still not married. But, uh, but he has the list. <laughs> but he still has the list. He's like, we're like, we'd be like driving in a car. He's like, this is a great song. Hang on. Song, gotta put this on songs to sing to wife list. <laughs> it's like, cool. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Okay. <laughs> so, so a list is not a bad thing. I actually <laughs> mentally, no, I had a list. We, uh, Steve and I call it the negotiable and non-negotiable list. So you don't want your non-negotiable list to be like extensively long. Like I had a friend in high school that was like, he must be sixteen, blonde hair, muscular, like all of these things. I'm like. That's not going to happen. So anyway, <laughs> so uh, you don't want it to be like this crazy, like no human being will ever fill that list. But like something on my list was that the person I married loved God more than he loved me. Sounds kind of crazy, but that's what was on my list. And there's some other stuff. Negotiable lists are things that you value, but they're not necessarily, they're negotiable. So one of my things was I really wanted a guy with brown curly hair. And it happened to come true, so that was really nice. But it was negotiable because obviously that's not a deal breaker. Maybe for some people it is, but for me it wasn't. 
just about she to actually doesn't know that uh, this isn't natural. Uh, <laughs> so don't tell her, all right? No, I'm just kidding. It's natural. <laughs> One thing I do encourage is while you make this great list, make a list for yourself. I want you to remember this phrase. Am I the one I'm looking for is looking for? Confusing. But is am I the person that I'm looking for is looking for? Like, are you this perfect person that you have mapped out on your list? Are you somebody that that person would actually fall in love with? Are you somebody that would be on their list? Okay, so just to explain this, that's kind of a, it's going to click eventually. It might be like you're driving home, you're like, oh, that's what Aaron was saying, all right? Because <laughs> some of you are like, huh? all right? So if Aaron is my dream woman, which she is, all right, uh, and I'm going to pursue her, right? I walk up to her and I realize that she's my, my dream woman, right? Am I the person, I, am I someone who my dream woman would even give five seconds to during their day? Does that make sense? Because if I'm like, if I have this dream woman in my mind, but I'm just like, you know, just kind of like, oh, yeah, she needs to love Jesus. She needs to be this, that. She needs to be all those things, right? She's going to be a... First Corinthians 13 woman, right? <laughs> but like, I am like, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm like nowhere even close to that, right? Like there's like, Jesus is like in the, in the back, back, backseat of my life. And he's just kind of whatever, right? I can't, I can't expect to somehow miraculously have this woman of my dreams just be like, oh, you're great. Guys, it doesn't work that way. All right. As much as you think that, yeah, it's just not going to work that way. All right, go ahead. He has zero moral character, but he's good looking. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I digress. Number four. Oh, no, we got to. Oh, you got to. Another way to say that is to make sure that the greatest gift you give your spouse someday is who you are. Right? The greatest gift that you have to give your spouse is who you are. It's not your bank account. It's not your diploma. It's not what your <laughs> somebody whispered. Well, that's a pretty good gift. But uh, uh, <laughs> that is a good gift. All right. You should be a saver. Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. But um, but the greatest gift you should give your spouse is who you are. And I'm going to tell you right now that that person is going to be best found when you are walking with Jesus every single day of your life. Man, give your spouse someone who represents Jesus well. It would be the greatest gift that you could ever give your future spouse. The fourth question is, am I looking for a healthy person in a healthy place? It kind of ties in with that last question, but are you actually looking for a healthy person in a healthy place? You wouldn't look for a prized jewel in a pile of dog poop. Unless unless the dog swallowed your wedding ring, yes. Unless the dog swallowed your wedding ring. Who said that? So <laughs> sometimes our focus on finding a relationship is so strong that we start becoming desperate. We probably would never admit to ourselves that we're desperate, but I remember sitting around a table with a bunch of girls, and they started saying, oh, the only place that I can meet guys these days is on hookup apps and in bars. And I was like, that's not the only place. But in their mind, that was, because that's what our culture has told them, and that's what they started believing, and that's what everyone around them was saying. And so when we become desperate, we look for 
we want to find this person with, like, outstanding character that can love us the way that 1 Corinthians say, says love really is supposed to be, but we're looking for them in a place where you just don't find those people. And you're expecting to be found in a place where you just don't find those people, where it's rare. So I encourage you guys, step up your game. Don't go finding somebody, like, expecting to find an incredible, like, God-honoring person in a place that you wouldn't just find a God-honoring person. Set higher standards for yourself. Don't become desperate. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you have no idea how many conversations I have with guys who will come to me and be like, you know, oh, yeah, Steve, I'm, I'm going on a date. Oh, where did you meet this girl? Uh, I mean, you know, at work or something. And be like, okay, cool. Like, does she love Jesus? Well, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, you know. It's like, okay, like, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with going on a random date with somebody. But, man, let's, let's like, obviously – you can be around people in a community, in a loving community, and you can see that, man, whether or not someone loves Jesus, right? And so, yeah, I think it's a, I think that's, uh, no, I can't say that. Okay, never mind. All right. All right. Uh, and now you'll feel like an idiot. <laughs> so anyways, I think that's really, really important. So. All right, number five. Question number five: uh, Am I actively pursuing sexually sexual purity in my life? Okay, so what is we're gonna dive into the whole sex topic tonight, and uh, and I want you guys before we even jump into this, I want you to hear my heart on this. Okay, our heart again is not to try to kill joy in this area of your life. Our heart is not to be condemning, all right? So if you have a colorful past, if you have a col colorful sexual past, we are in no way shaming you. We are in no way condemning you. We believe that Jesus can heal and redeem anybody's life, anybody's situation, all right? And so, and he can give you a completely new and fresh start in this area of your life tonight. So we're not being condemning. And I want to just challenge you because some of you are like, Closing your minds right now. You're like, nope, sorry, Steve, I'm checking out. This is the old-fashioned sex talk that the pastor has to give, and I'm not going to listen. Uh, it's, uh, hear my heart, this is not old-fashioned. This is not what we're trying to do here, but I want you to know that we take this seriously because we believe that, that the area of sex is one of the most misunderstood things in our culture today. And we believe that we serve a God who actually invented sex. It was his idea. He's our creator. It's, sex was actually his idea. And so why would we not turn to the inventor of something to ask him how it works best? You know what I'm saying? Okay, now, if you don't believe me, we're going uh, to do a little survey in here, okay? Live survey. How many of you, and you're going to raise your hand, please. How many of you know someone who has been hurt by sex in some way. Raise your hand. Okay. You look around the room. Leave them up and leave them up high. Look around the room. All right. So do you think we have a sex problem in our culture? The answer is yes, everybody. We cannot deny that. Okay. So what that tells me is that the world has a problem with sex. Yet, for some reason, we continue to go back to the world to help us define sex. And we continue to help us go, we continue to go back to the world to help us tell 
tell, to help tell us what we should do and how we should pursue and how we should go about this. Does that make any sense to us? It shouldn't make sense to us, right? So I really believe, I want you to know that we really see this as a, as a deception from the enemy, right? See, God created sex and created it to be a very beautiful thing. And every single thing that God created that was very beautiful, the devil always takes it, he twists it, and he tries to use it against us, or he tries to give us a counteroffer or a counterfeit, because he says, man, I'm going to take this beautiful thing, this beautiful desire, this beautiful uh, drive that God's placed in them, and I'm going to try to use it for damage. And so, obviously, the way the world is doing this is damaging, and so we can try to, try to let's just try something new, right? What do we have to lose here, people, right? I mean, you can't turn on the TV today. You can't watch the news for more than five minutes without hearing about something that has to do with someone hurting someone sexually. So why don't we try something new? And why don't, man, a novel idea. Let's go back to the Word of God, the inventor of sex, and let's see what he says to do with this, right? So that's our heart behind this, right? We're not trying to be condemning. We're not trying to be old-fashioned. We're just saying, hey, let's look for the best way to go about this. Go ahead. So with that, our cultural our culture of casual sex tells us that we can basically do that with no strings attached. That, um, yeah, it, love has nothing to do with it anymore. It's just a purely, like, physical experience. But if you've ever been hurt in any way by that, you know that that's not true. It's not just physical. You can't remove your emotion. You can't remove it's never just physical. There's no, there's always strings attached because that's how God created it. And God gave us this gift and he, he gave it with parameters and warning signs. And the warning signs were that you, you need, this is my beautiful, incredible gift that I made just for you to be enjoyed in a marriage relationship. And who has ever read <laughs> warning labels on a hairdryer before? Wow, more of you than what I, I would have thought. Okay, so one of one of the warning labels that actually makes me laugh really hard because I was like, who would do this? Is do not use the hairdryer while taking a bath. I mean, I guess you could get in a rush one morning. <laughs> be like, I got to dry my hair, but I just don't want to get up. <laughs> I don't know. And the other one is don't use while sleeping. I guess that makes a little more sense. Like, I just got really tired because this hot air is blowing on my head. I'm just going <laughs> to take a little nap. What could go wrong? And as stupid as that sounds, we do that with sex. And we are like, there's these warning labels that God put on this wonderful, incredible invention that help. Like, it's so awesome. But he put warning labels on it. And we refuse to listen to them because we don't think it matters. And this is like... It's like grabbing a hairdryer and saying, it says I shouldn't use this while in the bathtub, but that's inconvenient. So, and I, I need to blow dry my hair now. And so I'm just going to go for it. What could go wrong? And you get electrocuted, and that's not good. So <laughs> I want to encourage you to think about it that way. God didn't just put these, these parameters on this because he wanted to be rude or mean or anything. He put it on there to help us and to benefit us because he knows that if we use this and pull this gift outside of a marriage relationship, destruction is imminent. Yeah, I think that I think that that's one of the 
God, you can't, we can't really argue, we can't argue scripture, what scripture says about sex. And God says that, man, sex is, des- is designed to be enjoyed within marriage, within the commitment that marriage brings. And it's a really beautiful thing. It's something that really solidifies that commitment. It brings intimacy. It brings connection and all those things. And, and I think sometimes, again, I, I don't want to harp on this issue, but I think sometimes we go back to this idea that, like, well, that was that was for Bible times, but we have to like, Steve, you got to, I mean, it's the 21st century. You got to budge a little bit there, right? But you guys got to understand that the original cultures that Paul was teaching about sex and sex designed within marriage. We can read about it in in the same book that we're in today in the, in 1 Corinthians. The the Corinthian church made a uh, made America, or the Corinthian, not the Corinthian church, the Corinthian people made America look like I love Lucy, okay? Like, it was like the purest thing ever, right? Make America, because the Corinthian church was, or the Corinthian people were kind of out of control sexually. They had sex gods, they would prostitute themselves before idols, they would do all this really nasty, crazy stuff. And Paul goes in, and he's not, he doesn't really shy away from the fact that God has a very specific plan for that. Does that make sense? And he says, he doesn't, he doesn't shy away and be like, okay, yeah, I understand. You know, it's, it's the first century, and this is Corinthians, and, and you know, like, we got to be relevant, and we got to teach what's for today, and all this stuff. He says, no, 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 there is a God-given, designed plan for sex, and I want you to be able to enjoy that blessing. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to implore you, I'm going to, I'm going to instruct you to stop behaving these specific ways so that you can enjoy sex the way God designed it to be enjoyed because love protects and God's trying to protect you. And so the same thing can be applied today. And so if there's, man, I, I would, if there's something going on in your life, if you're involved in a sexually active relationship and you, you have a desire to follow Jesus, you have a desire to follow God, man, make a decision tonight to say, you know what, I'm going to trust God's love for this area. And I'm going to wait until marriage to have sex. And you know what, for some of you in here, that's going to mean the end of a relationship. I'm not going to lie. Because some of you in here might go and you're going to tell a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you're going to have a stir up enough courage to be like, hey, I really think that we should stop this because God, this is not God's best for my life. And they're going to say, you know what, if that's going to be the case, I'm out of here. Well, that is not someone who's trying to protect you. That is not someone who is living unselfishly. Because an unselfish, protecting person is going to say, you know what, I, un- I understand that. I respect that. I might not fully I, n- I might not fully be on the same page as you. I not, might not fully understand where that's coming from, but I am looking at this relationship unselfishly, and so I'm going to trust that this is, if this is what you want, this is what you're going to get, right? So if they respond in the wrong way, man, you, you just have answered that question that, man, this probably isn't someone that you may maybe want to spend now the, the rest of your life with. And so talk through that. It's going to be a tough conversation, obviously. But guys, here's the, here's the deal, the reality of this. I just want to explain a little bit more of the why because, uh, again, how many people like the why behind things? You know what I'm saying? Like, why? You know, why? Okay. 
Uh, I have a little four-year-old ne- niece and nephew, and that's like all they ask me now. Why? Uh, because. Okay. But anyways, we're we're trying not to just be like, well, because God said so here. Because God is really trying to protect us from a lot of baggage, there a lot of baggage that we could bring into a marriage, right? Uh, there, there's, uh, man, and, and maybe for some of you in here, it's your, your sexual activity isn't necessarily hooking up with people every weekend, but your sexual activity is looking at porn. And that is baggage that you are going to bring into a relationship. And here's the deal. Here's the problem is that that person that you have been looking at on an, on an image, on a video, on the Internet, those people, your future spouse is probably never going to be able to live up to that person physically. And so if you don't stop that now, what's going to happen is that you're going to get into a marriage relationship and there is going to be problems in your sex life because that person isn't going to fulfill your desires the way your spouse or the way that that your spouse isn't going to fulfill your desires the way that that person on the Internet looked or was acting, or whatever. And and guys, uh, without getting too into it, this is a serious, actual problem in relationship, in marriage relationships today. People struggling sexually because of the overstimulation that they see from pornographic images on the Internet. And I don't know about you, but, I mean, I can't imagine what I would feel like if Aaron came to me and said, I've been, I've been looking at porn. Like yeah, I would forgive her, and we would we would work through that, and we would we would pray through that, and we would pursue God's healing for that, and God would do a great work. But man, you better believe that'd be rough, right? And so what we're doing here is we're saying, man, let's take care of this before your sin starts to affect somebody else. It's living selflessly, thinking of keeping your spouse's best interests in mind. So if you have virtual guys or girls in your life, get rid of them before you put a real one in there. Get rid of the virtual girls or the virtual guys before you put a real real person in there. Um, are we, should I share that? Anything? Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that when it comes to sex, guys, it's it's really there. There are some disciplines that we just need to develop as men and women of God, right? And we hate that word in in Christianity today because, like, disciplines—that sounds religious and that sounds right. But there are just some disciplines that we need to develop, right? Character, good character, requires self-discipline. Okay, and when it comes to sex, if you can't say no to sex now you're not going to be able to say no to sex after marriage. Okay? So all of a sudden, let's just say Aaron and I are, are happily married, and I wasn't able, I was never able, I never trained myself to be able to say no to sex. And Aaron and I get married, and, you know, then it's like, okay, well, great. Well, now we're married, we can have sex, right? Well, now, all of a sudden, there's something that comes between us. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the sex life isn't happening the way that it used to anymore. All right. Well, now all of a sudden, I've never been able to say no to sex before. So now all of a sudden, the girl at the water cooler at work who starts flirting with me, 
I'm probably not going to be able to say no to her. See what I'm saying? And so, guys, every single affair that ever starts starts that way, right? It's just this innocent little thing that starts because of a need that's not being met at home. And if I can't figure out how to say no now, I won't be able to say no later. And I tell this to pre-marriage couples all the time, and and it doesn't really make sense to them, and it probably doesn't going to make sense to you, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you can't say no now, it will be hard to say yes later. Okay, now let me explain myself in that. Sex is best designed when we approach it completely 100% selflessly. Okay, so when you approach sex and you are looking to serve the other person, sorry if this is getting a little too personal, but you go into it looking to serve the other person, that's when sex is best enjoyed. But if it's all of, if sex is all about me, 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 and I go into a relationship, sex is still, and into a marriage, sex is still all going to be all about me, 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 me. And eventually that sexual relationship is going to come up. That sex, sexual relationship, even between that husband and wife, is going to end up coming dry because I have never learned how to be selfless even with my sex life. Does that make sense? Okay. A lot of creeped out blank stares out there. So we're going to move on. But this is so important, you guys, so important. God has a designed plan. And just trust his love. Trust his love. All right, go ahead. The final question is, if I have hurt, have I given God time and permission to heal me? If you have been hurt before by a relationship, no matter what it is, if you've been emotionally hurt, if you've been physically hurt, whatever it is, have you given God time and permission to heal you? We oftentimes need to give God permission. And I, I like, when I imagine things that are hurt in my heart, I imagine my, like, this door on my heart that part and I close a door to God because I it's sometimes we close doors in our lives because we just don't want to think about it we don't want to get over it we we just push it aside and pretend like something never happened and I encourage you to open that door and give God permission to heal you because God wants to make you whole he protects you know I think this is uh this is so important, especially right after what we had just talked about, that God wants to bring healing and restoration to your life. Every single one of you raised a hand when I asked if you know someone who has been hurt by sex. Guys, we, if we understand Jesus' love, we'll understand that Jesus' love wants to come and lavish on us so much that he brings healing and restoration and completeness in our lives. We will never be able to find our identity in Jesus if there's sexual hurt in our lives because there's going to be a there's going to be a gap there that he, that we've never let him come in and heal and fix. And we'll be constantly looking for someone to fill that we'll probably start looking in un unhealthy places. And when we look in unhealthy places, eventually we're probably just going to put ourselves in a position to be hurt again. And so here's the deal is that what we have to understand is that God wants to heal you. And he doesn't want to come. He's not going to come up to you and be like, okay, you were bad. 
How dare you? He's waiting for you right now with open arms saying, oh, young lady, young man, I know the hurt. In fact, I carried that hurt on my shoulders when I carried a cross. And when I got nailed to that cross, I felt that hurt. I, I can relate to that hurt. And you might say there's no way Jesus can relate to that hurt. He can. The Bible says that that we do not have a high priest, we do not have a Jesus, we do not have a Savior who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted and tried in every way that we have been, yet was without sin. He can relate to that pain. He knows that pain. It doesn't mean that Jesus had happened to him what has happened to you. You might be saying, there's no way that Jesus ever had that happen to what happened to me happen to him. No, he probably didn't, but he felt that pain when he was put on a cross for that sin. And he carried that sin. And he knows what that sin feels like. And he's waiting for you saying, hey, I've conquered it. I'm victorious. And I want to bring that healing to you. And I want to give you a fresh start tonight. I want to give you a new identity tonight. So that that past, your past decisions, no matter how colorful that past might be, it's a clean slate. And you don't need to keep repeating. He's sitting there and he's saying, you don't need to keep repeating the same mistakes that you've kept been. You you feel like you're in a cycle constantly with relationships because you feel like you keep making the same mistakes over and over again. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to get you out of that cycle by giving you a new identity. And pretty soon the things that you used to desire, you're not going to desire anymore because you're going to start to desire what I desire for your life. Because you're going to understand my love and you're going to start to trust my love. It's a beautiful thing. I want to close with a story and the worship team can come back up. Uh, Many of you uh, met Kay when she was here if you were here at the beginning of the year in about October, there was a lady named Kay who came up, and uh, she was really hyper and and uh, very vocal, very very excited and bubbly. Well, if you didn't meet Kay, you don't know who I'm talking about. But Kay was our, so my campus pastor in college, my campus pastor's wife uh, was Kay. And Kay, uh, I've told her story before, so maybe you've heard it, but um, when Kay was uh, in her 20s, Kay got got raped, and when she got raped, she contracted a sexually transmitted disease, and it was a really nasty sexually transmitted disease, and I share this story with her permission. She shares it openly. Uh, she uses it as a way to be able to, she uses her story as a way to be able to help people understand what Jesus can do in healing in this area, and uh, when when she contracted this STD, it was it was uh, specific. We're adults in here, so we're going to talk about this. Uh, it was genital warts, and it was a really really bad case of genital warts. And and her gynecologist told her that she would never be able to uh, she would never be able to really enjoy sex with a with a with a marriage partner. That it was going to be very difficult to do that, and that she would never mother children because of this condition. So you can about believe that that she was pretty angry and pretty bitter at the guy who did this to her. She hated his guts. She loathed this man. And one day she was sitting with a pastor, and a pastor told, challenged Kay to forgive the guy who did this to her. And she said, there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to forget that guy. 
If he was standing here today, I would want to do him physical harm. There's no way I'm going to forgive him. And the pa- this pastor said, I'm sorry, Kay, but if you really want to receive, you know, some emotional healing here, you got to forgive. I know that it's it seems hard, but. But Jesus, Jesus has commanded you to forgive this person. And over time, she started to pray about this. And Kay, finally, one day, Kay felt like for the first time ever that she was actually able to just say those words, that I forgive this man. She didn't actually believe it in her heart at all, but she finally had the, the, the fortitude to be able to say, I forgive that man. And she did it. And the next day, she was still angry, so she forgave. And the next day, she did it, so she, she forgave. And pretty soon, her heart started to soften to this idea that maybe she could actually someday forgive this guy, actually, truly, authentically. And so it finally started processing, finally started processing. And eventually, Kay, over the course of, of, of a long time, Kay was finally able to say with, beyond a shadow of a doubt that she actually forgave this guy for what she did, for what this guy did. And so fast forward, Kay, uh, uh, right after that moment when she said, I finally feel, God, like you've released this bitterness from my heart. That night she came into a, a uh, church service, and that night they were praying for people to be healed. And Kay came forward to receive prayer for healing. She wasn't going to tell anybody about her condition. She was too embarrassed. And that night, she was prayed for for healing, and the power of God touched her in an incredibly tangible way. The power of God was so strong upon Kay that night that it, she lit, it like, literally like knocked her over. And she laid on the ground in the presence of the Lord. And when she finally got up, the next day, all of the warts were completely gone. And she had a call from her gynecologist like uh, six months later. She said, Kay, what are you doing? You have to come in for your checkup. She said, oh, God healed me. She says, no way. There's absolutely no way. I don't believe you. You have to come in for appointment. And written in Kay's medical records is the word miracle. And the doctor, now listen to this, because this is the best part of the story. The gynecologist looked at Kay she says, Kay, I have no idea what happened here. This doesn't make any sense. Because when I looked at you, your body is 100% returned to the condition of that of a virgin. That doesn't just happen, guys. God did a miracle. And I love that story because it illustrates something in the physical that can happen to every single person in the spiritual and the emotional and the mental is that Jesus wants to lavish you with his love and he wants to pour that out on you and he wants to bring healing to your life. And God might not ever be able to give you back a a physical virginity, but he wants to give you the identity of that of someone who is healed from all of their past sexual sin and to give you the spiritual identity of that of a virgin. Amen? And he wants to give you a fresh start tonight. 
and tell you how much he loves you and how excited he is to be able to begin this journey with you. So I don't care how far gone you feel like you are, how messed up you feel like your past is, or how much hurt you have relationship-wise, or how whatever. God wants to bring restoration to you. So you bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a pretty sensitive night. And I know we kind of went late, as we tend to do with love dating relationships. So, but I just really, I just really want to be able to give God a chance to do His thing tonight. So, if you're here tonight and you need some healing from your past, maybe you need to forgive someone in here, start afresh. Just raise your hand in here. Is that for anybody? No one's looking around. Just raise your hand and say, God, if you're not comfortable raising your hand, just tell God, yeah, God, that's me. If you're here tonight and you need a love adjustment, maybe you need to understand God's love, maybe you need to understand your self-worth in Christ, maybe you need to start becoming the right one rather than looking for the right one, maybe you make need to make a hard purity decision in this place. Maybe you need to make a hard decision in a in a relationship that you're in. Just raise a hand in this place to say, God, I'm going to make that hard decision tonight. I'm going to commit to that. Yeah, hands going up all over the place. Come on. Come on. Amen. And my last question is this, is that if you don't understand the love of Jesus because Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, You've never accepted him. You never accepted the forgiveness that he made available to you through dying on a cross. And tonight you'd like to make him your Lord and Savior. Just raise a hand in this place. Is that some? Does anybody want to make that decision tonight? Is that for anybody? Okay. If you raise your hand to that question, I'm going to ask that you come find me or find my wife at the end of this service. And we'd love to just chat with you about that decision, lead you in a prayer for that, and let you know what that's all about, what the next steps are. But if you raise your hand to one of those first two questions, I'm going to pray over all of you like this. God, I pray healing, and I pray forgiveness. God, I pray that these individuals who need healing in this area would understand how much you love them, how much you forgive them, how much you're smiling upon them right now. And God, would they understand how proud you are of them for taking a step of faith and a step of obedience tonight to say, God, I want what you want and I trust your love. For those who need to understand your love better, God, I pray that you would pour that out on them. God, for those who need to understand their identity in you because they've been looking for self-worth in a relationship, God, I just pray that you would show them who they are in Jesus. For those of here that, that need to make a, a decision to pursue you in purity, maybe a hard decision to, to, to maybe that, uh, a hard decision that they need to have in the next day or two with a significant other, God, I pray that they would strike when the iron's hot, that they would be able to have that conversation immediately, that as it says in the book of James, that they would not just be hearers of the word, but that they would be doers of the word, that would respond to your conviction, Holy Spirit, quickly and immediately and effectively in Jesus' name.